We're going to be over here in Luke chapter 13. If you want to turn, turn over into there. There was a man by the name of Archibald Rutledge. And he tells a story that as a young boy, he was catching and caging all kinds of wild things. He just liked to catch them and put them in cages. And one time he, he caught a mockingbird. And so he put it in the cage right outside of his window so he could watch it. And he saw the mother of the young mockingbird come over and feed it through the cage. And he thought, this is great. I'll be able to watch the mockingbird grow up and the mama feed it. And so the next day when he got up, the mockingbird was dead. And so he went and he was, he was talking to a, a renowned ornithologist, Arthur Wayne. And he told him, he says, well, sometimes when a mocking, when a mockingbird, mother mockingbird finds her, her young in a cage or trapped somewhere, she will give them poison berries because they have decided that being dead is better than being bound. I thought that's an interesting story. Death is, is preferred. Well, here in Luke chapter 13, we're going to see someone who was bound, not just for a day, but for 18 years. This is a very short healing story, as healing stories go. But now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over, and could in no way raise herself up. So this woman, she walked around. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to see somebody who walked around bent. I've, uh, I think I've, I've met one person who um, just, uh, I mean, that I knew, not just you see in passing, and just was noticeably bent, held, held over like this, and just could not straighten up. So I have a visual picture of what this woman was going through. But for 18 years, this thing had come on her, and it says right here in the Word of God, it says it's the spirit of infirmity. It wasn't just an injury. It wasn't a sickness that had come upon her and, and took her ability to be able to freely move. This was a spirit of, of infirmity that came upon her and kept her bent over in, in a hunched over type of a way. And she could, it says, in no way raise herself up. Now, it's interesting to note that it says spirit of infirmity. It's not just uh, a sickness or a disease. It's not something that she did to, to hurt herself. This was, this was the spirit. It doesn't say why the spirit came on her, what doors were opened or anything like that. And apparently none of that is important for us for this story. But she was there in the service. Now can you imagine going through something like this where you are bent over and how far over? I mean, she, is she bent over like this? Is she bent over? We don't know how far over she was bent over, but obviously it was, it was uncomfortable. Can you imagine going through that for 18 years? How uncomfortable that would be. How much of a hindrance that would be to your daily life. The things that you would get done, even how fast you could get from one place to another because they walked everywhere that they went. So you'd have to you know, be walking bent over. And that's got to take a lot more out of you. If you want, just try it sometime this afternoon and say for the next half hour, I'm going to be bent over and just see how that affects your day. And then imagine that for 18 years. If you had that going on for 18 years, would you have the opportunity to get mad at God? And yet here it is, 18 years later, and she's still in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Basically, in our language, she's still in church on Sunday.
I think that's astounding. But it tells us some things. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the, the Sabbath. It didn't say Jesus came into the synagogue to teach. It didn't say after Jesus concluded teaching. It says as he was teaching. So Jesus is up in the front teaching the people that had come into the synagogue. No, it doesn't tell us what he was teaching. I don't know. I kind of like to know what he was teaching. But I always want to know what Jesus was teaching. Because he's just one of the best teachers that's out there. So as he was, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. So the three things we know from this first verse is that Jesus was teaching. What? Apparently doesn't matter. That it took place in a synagogue. Which synagogue? Where it was? Apparently that didn't matter either. And it was the Sabbath. We don't know what month. We don't know how close it was to one of the feasts. Apparently that doesn't matter either. All we needed to know was that this woman had this spirit of infirmity for 18 years and that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, some synagogue, and that um, that it was the Sabbath. That's all that's apparently important for us to understand everything that we need to about this, this story. But can you see there are a lot of other things you could be adding to this story. This is a very short healing story. The actual healing story itself takes up four verses. We have healing uh, encounters that take up whole chapters. This one takes up four verses. There was room if you wanted to write more. But that's all that was written. Now, it was important enough to God, God the Father, to have Jesus stop teaching and direct all his attention onto the woman and her condition and deal with it. Can you imagine that? It was important enough for God because Jesus does not do anything that he does not see the Father do. And he does not say anything that he does not hear the Father say. He taught us taught us that about what he what he did. So he obviously saw this somewhere before or right then and saw God having him do this. So he stops teaching. Now if Jesus is teaching a lesson to the group of people there, how many would think that it's important? I would think it's important. And he stops in the middle of teaching to address this woman. Hmm. The teaching was benefiting everyone that was there. Healing was going to benefit her. Of course, it benefits us too because we can learn things from it. Well, let's, let's go on. There were three things we knew about the woman too. First, she had a spirit of infirmity. She had it for 18 years and it caused her to be bent over and not straight. Now, how many of you, we don't have to get into any kind of theological discussion to understand that she does not want this condition. If you were bent over, would you not do everything you could to fix it? To get yourself so you could be, be straight. God made us in such a way that we're supposed to be straight. Not bent over. Being bent over, doesn't, it's not comfortable. Now, it would seem that God didn't want her in this condition either. 
Or why would he have Jesus looser from it? So we have a condition here of a woman who has a spirit of infirmity. We know that doesn't come from God. She's had it for 18 years. She doesn't want it. God doesn't want her to have it. She's in God's house, but being in God's house didn't change the condition. Location doesn't seem to matter. 18 years this has been going on. She doesn't want it for any of those 18 years. Apparently, God doesn't want her to have it for any of those 18 years, but it still continued to go on. She's in the house of God, but nothing changes until someone acts against it. Someone has to act against the thing that is causing this, which is the spirit of infirmity. Until someone acts against it, no matter how many people want it to happen, it doesn't happen. I'm sure she has friends and relatives in the congregation of the synagogue. And they want her to be healed. But all those want-tos didn't change it. Now, how many of you can think of people who ask questions like this or say things like this? If God wants me healed, I will be. Or they'll say it like this. Well, in God's time, I will be healed. It must be God's will if it continues. It wouldn't continue if it wasn't God's will. And yet here, one of the healing stories, and you know, there are not that many healing stories in the Bible, but there were tens of thousands that were healed. So the ones that are in here are in here for a reason. They're to teach us some things. That's why we focus on them. 18 years. And it has not been addressed the way it needs to be. 18 years, God has not wanted this to go on. If he did want it to go on, why did he suddenly change his mind? But when you have a condition for a long period of time, there's things that go on on the inside of you. After a while, you know, you may come against it. You may may rebuke it and it doesn't go. Things don't change. You pray about it. Of course, what a lot of people do is they don't uh, rebuke the thing. They actually, oh, dear God, please heal me of this. And we just kind of beg for God to, to do that. Well, he doesn't. And so we figure, well, if he doesn't do it, it must be his will. And so I accept the fact that it's the will of God. And by accepting the fact that it's the will of God, I stop fighting against it. I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't uh, come against it. I just accept it. We just accept that that's the way it's, it's going to be. Now, you can, you can understand what accepting is like. How many of you have a car that has a problem? Somewhere along the line, it has a problem. It's not a perfect car. It may be a nice car, but we've either we have now or have had in the past, we've had cars that have a problem. But for some reason, we still have that car. Because we've accepted the problems of that car. We've accepted the shortcomings of this car. Maybe the shortcoming might be a little bit more substantial. Maybe your car vibrates at anything over 60 miles an hour. And so we adjust. And we take roads where we don't have to travel faster than 60 miles an hour so that the car doesn't vibrate. We've, we've adjusted. I would like it to not, but I don't have the funds, the desire whatever it might be, to trade the car in, buy a new car, get something different. So I accept it as it is, 
and I just adjust. So I just adjust that way. I've heard people that have had cars and the, the gas meter, uh, the, the gas gauge has gone bad. And so you don't know how much gas is in the car. And so they would, they adjusted. They didn't have the ability to, to go out and buy a new car. Everything else about it was fine, but it's the gas that it wouldn't tell you how much the gas is in it. And so, well, they adjusted and they, they would tell me some of the ways they adjusted. They would uh, uh, write down the mileage when they filled it up. And they would always fill it up because they would know, you know, I'll get 400, 400 miles or so on the gallon. And so once they got to down around 300 miles or so, they would fill it up. And that was their gauge. Now, that's a lot more work to go through, isn't it? You've got to make sure that you write it down. You've got to make sure that uh, you keep checking it. Because you don't want to be stuck out there. And all of a sudden, we can't, uh, we can't quite do this anymore. Can't move anywhere. So there's, there's ways that we can adjust. You may have moved into a house that has some creaking noises. You didn't hear those noises when you bought the house. That, uh, that, those noises, you weren't in a place where you could hear those noises, but after you're there and you're sleeping at night and everything else is quiet and you hear the creaking noises. That, well, you can't necessarily just get rid of the house and go get another one. And so you adjust. Well, I know what that noise is. Or I don't exactly know what that noise is, but it is normal for this house. And so we just, we go on with it. So we make adjustments. I'm sure she's made adjustments in her life. There are certain things that she doesn't do anymore. There are certain things that she allows people to help her with. Because um, they just don't have the, she doesn't have the ability. I mean, if she needs something up high, she may, may be a short woman, she may be a tall woman, but it doesn't matter if you're bent over, you can't get as high. And you all know it, if, if you are a person who's short in stature, then you've made adjustments. If you have high cabinets, then you get some kind of a stool that you can step on and you can get there. Or you make sure that someone's around that you can say, hey, can you get this? And then, you know, my wife did that yesterday. She had a, a picture up on the top shelf and she just, I was nearby. She just said, hey, can you go out there and get it for me? Now, she can be on her tiptoes, reaching as high as she can, and she couldn't get it. I don't even have to get on my tiptoes. I just walk over and, uh, and just grab the thing and pull it on down. But, you know, when you, when you have things like that going, you know how to make adjustments. And we make adjustments so that we don't even think about it anymore. Just make the adjustment. She's probably made a lot of adjustments to this condition so that it's not as big of a hindrance to her as it seemed to be at first. She's just, uh, she's getting by. You get by with something for 18 years and things can, uh, they can, they can go pretty well. Well, I think this is, I think this is all right. I think we're doing okay here. Now we know that she does not want to have this in the beginning. She didn't want to have it. Even now, if you asked her, say, well, do you want to have that? She probably would say no, but she doesn't know how to change it. So we just accept it. I think it's interesting that for all the time that Jesus has been ministering here and all the people that have gotten healed, she's not asked to be. Jesus is having meetings and he's healing people. Why doesn't she get in line? Why doesn't she come to Jesus and approach Jesus about this and say, Jesus, heal me of this? Why doesn't she do it? And the only explanation I can think of is that she has gotten to a place where she is so accepting of this and it's coming to a reason that either it's God's will for her life, God has a purpose, God is not ready to heal me yet, and once you've accepted one of those things, when an opportunity is there, you don't take it because you've convinced yourself 
that this is God's plan for my life. This is what I need to have. Well, again, there's no change in this condition until someone acted against it. Now think about this. Does this woman have a purpose or calling from God to fulfill? In her life, does she have a purpose or a calling? Did God put her on this earth for a reason? He surely did. So if God put this woman on the, on the earth, and we're all put here for a reason, we don't have to be in five-fold ministry. I don't have to be an apostle. I don't have to be a, a pastor or a teacher or a prophet or any other things that you can think of. I don't have to be that to be fulfilling a purpose for God's kingdom. Sometimes the enemy tries to veer us off. Well, if you're not doing one of these things, you're not fulfilling the purpose of God. That is certainly not going to be the case. But she has a purpose. There is a calling on her life. There is something that God wants her to fulfill. Don't you think that being bent over in this way would hinder her from fulfilling her purpose? Or that she may have just resigned herself. I know God wants me to do this, but I can't. And so, we just, I'm not going to do it. Whatever that purpose might have been. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And she may not be walking in that purpose. And after you don't walk in the purpose that God has for you for a number of years, you can just lose sight of it. It just goes out of your, out of your head. You're not even thinking about it. If it ever does come up in your thinking, well, that's, uh, that's not something I can do. We just brush it off. And, you know, if God wants me to do that, then he should heal me. That's what some people will, will say. Since God's not healing me, well, then, um, that's, that's just the way that, is, that it is. So this woman does have a purpose. She does have a calling. There is something that she needs to be fulfilling. And apparently, the enemy decided, because it's his spirit of infirmity, that whatever her purpose or calling is, was enough to get him on the case, or one of his people on the case, to get this spirit of infirmity on her, and it's keeping her from doing whatever it is she's supposed to be doing. So either she is not walking in what God has called her to at all, or it could be greatly restricted. But she has been made a target by Satan's kingdom. I know a lot of times people think they're a target. I hear sometimes people say, well, I was doing this for the kingdom of God and suddenly I became a target. And I've questioned some of the people that I've heard her say that because you hear what they're saying. This is what I was doing. I'm thinking, hmm, that's not really so much for the kingdom of God as you're thinking. But you're not always able to tell people that. Let's go on here, verse verse 2. I only got two of the verses done. That's half of the healing story. And the first one was just about Jesus teaching, setting the stage for us. But when Jesus saw her, now I take it from that, that means that there was enough people in the synagogue that he didn't see her. He's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching. All of a sudden, he sees this woman who is noticeably bent over. Bent over in such a way that this is not normal. This is not the way a person normally stands. This, this person, if, you, if a person is bent over and they're sitting down in a chair, you wouldn't notice it. So she must be standing up, out and about doing something, 
and it is, is bent over. And Jesus sees her walking like this or doing something bent over. And he, he knows this is not normal. This woman is in this condition, not willingly. And he knows it's the spirit of infirmity. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now look at this. When Jesus saw her, so he sees her. Now now think about this for just a minute. If you saw someone in a condition of being bent over and, and you wanted to minister to that person, how many of you would go to the person bent over? Wouldn't you do that? If you had a person in a wheelchair, wouldn't you go out to the person in a wheelchair? You wouldn't say, hey, come on up here. They're, they're incapacitated. I'm not. So I look at this and I say, Jesus, she's bent over. You're gonna, you're gonna sit here and wait for her, bent over, to come up to where you are. <laughs> but that's what it says. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her. So she had to be probably in the back somewhere. He called to her. Woman! Woman bent over. However it was he identified her. Maybe she's wearing something pink. And she said, woman in pink. I don't, I don't know what it is. Somehow he calls her and identifies her because apparently we don't know her name. So he can't say, you know, Mrs. So-and-so or uh, we can't say any of that. So he, but he calls her in a, such a way that she knows he's talking to her. Woman in the back, the one bent over. Come here. And so she makes her way from where was she was, because she's a distance away. Jesus had to call her. She wasn't, she wasn't right there. And she had to come to where Jesus was. So he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now apparently when he says, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity, infirmary, the condition didn't change. She's still like this. So he says, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight. When he laid hands on her is when the power of God went into her body. But he says first off, now it may be he says you are loosed from your infirmity as he's laying hands on her. Or it may be he said it first and then laid hands on her. But there's two parts to this. One that he spoke to the spirit of infirmity said, you are loosed. So that thing that was holding her back, we had to, we had to get rid of that. So you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid, laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now she was bound by this. And we can imagine what it is to be bound by something. Maybe not all of us have been, been bound. I asked, uh, brother Keith, since, uh, he, from his police background, if he, uh, kept any of those. Uh, handcuffs and stuff. Uh, I specifically mentioned I wanted a certain type, but um, <laughs> he didn't have them. And so uh, we had to just imagine if I was, if someone came and put me in handcuffs right now, I would be bound. And the only way that we could do that is to come against it. And so I brought a couple of things over from next door 
to help us with this with this project. If we had Pastor Steve with handcuffs on, metal handcuffs, and we needed to get them free, I have a couple of, of things here that we could use. Now, if you were going to, if, if you had a pick of these things, uh, how many of you would pick this? Can't tell if anybody's raising their hand on Facebook, uh, but no one here is, is raising their hand, so we're going to say uh, no to that. How about, how about this? We had metal handcuffs there. Would this do any good? So there's really no sense to, uh, to, to grab that one. If we had a uh, nice, nice hammer, it's actually a rubber mallet, Would that do any good to a, to a metal handcuff? Probably not, so we probably don't need that. But if we had a hacksaw, how many could see that this might have some benefit? So if I was, if I was up here and I was going to grab one of these things, I'd probably grab one of these, right? And then we can go at it. Now, it's not easy. You know, you have to be sawing for a little while. But uh, well, once we did, we could get ourselves out of that situation, not being bound by the handcuffs anymore. However, if you had your pick of whatever it is that you wanted to get that situation taken care of. How many of you could think of something more functional than a hacksaw? Yeah, get the key. If you got the key, so that's what I, I said. I asked him for a specific kind. I said, do you have any handcuffs? And I put in parentheses that you have the key to. I could just see myself getting handcuffed for a demonstration and then not be able to be free. <laughs> so I made sure this is the type I want. I want ones, I want metal ones that have a key. <laughs> but he didn't have the, he didn't have them. So, so you have to just kind of picture those things. But if we had a key, we'd be taken care of. You just put that key in a lock, undo it. So that, that lock cannot hold up to the key. It has to be the right key. You can just grab a key. It won't necessarily work. I got to have the right key. And if I have the right key for the handcuffs, then those handcuffs would come off. Of course, you're some of those bad guys on the movies, Houdini types and such. All I need is a bobby pin or whatever it might be. And they can get out of just about any of them. And I am not that type. Uh, you can give me a bobby pin and a set of handcuffs and I'd be there till you know, next year. <laughs> It would not be coming off. I, I, I can sit there and fiddle with the bobby pin all day long. It isn't, it isn't going to do any good. But if you gave me a key, I'd be able to do it. So she has been under this bondage for 18 years, but no one was able to come against it with anything effective. People were coming against maybe with, with the wrong tools. Maybe they, you know, the, this isn't, this isn't going to work. We try banging it. We try all sorts of stuff, but it's just not going to work. I'm sure she tried to do some things until they got to the place where they just resolved themselves. These bonds must be God's will. And so they just stayed with them. But here we got Jesus on the scene. And even though this has been going on for 18 years, I don't know if Jesus knew it right then that it was 18 years, but it didn't matter to Jesus. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, how long has this been going on? No, he didn't say that, did he? What have you been doing about this situation? He didn't say that either, did he? 
What he did was he spoke to the condition. You are loosed from your infirmity. He used the key. He unlocked it. And the bonds fell off. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, how is a person bent over for 18 years made straight? Does God just come down and zap him with so much power that it's like electricity and they, ah! Oh! <laughs> and it just became straight? Somehow, she had to believe what Jesus said. That first off, it was loosed. And when he laid hands on her, that she was healed. And straightened herself up. We know this because if, when Jesus was dealing with a lame man, what's he say to the lame man? Get up. Rise up. Take up your bed and walk. When Peter comes into the lame man out by the gate, what's he say to him? Get up. And he grabs him by the hand and yanks him to his feet. And the man leaped. said the man leaped. There was, there was something on his part that he did. And you look at some of these others, there's a, there's a part that was on them. Her first part was when Jesus called her to come. I don't know if she, she wanted to be a spectacle at that time. Maybe she's thinking, 18 years, I've tried all kinds of things. I don't really need this embarrassment today. But she came. And when Jesus laid hands on her and spoke, she straightened herself up. She was made straight. Now, when he says here, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now, I looked up a number of different things. Do you know there's actually a, a couple of different opinions as to what the word is that's used here for loosed? And if you get into the Greek, the Greek has tons of word for loosed. There are all kinds of words you can use for loosed. There isn't just one. There's one main one. Luo is a, is a main one. But I looked up one place and they said this word was luo. And so another place said it was something else. So I went over to the Greek itself. I said, I want to see what the Greek word actually is in the actual text. Not somebody, you know, taking it. This is, this is the root word. I wanted to see what it actually said. And um, it's a lot longer than luo. And the actual Greek word that it's based off of is apoluo. Apo means from. So lu means to loosen. It means to destroy to break up, to dissolve, to, to loose, melt away, send away, put off. That's what luo means, all those kind of things. You take it from the context what it is. When you put the word apo in, in front of it, it means from. So he is saying this, you are loosed from this when you do apo luo. Now, if anyone is interested, I actually wrote the entire Greek word out here. And it's about twice the size of apo luo because of the, the extra endings and stuff like that. But it definitely comes from this word, apaluo, which means to be loosed from. Woman, you are loosed from. You are loosed from your infirmity. And so that's why you see it interpreted this way. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. The word from is not in the Greek. There is no Greek word that says from. Because it's all in the one word, which means loosed from. One word, you get both of those out of it. So if sometimes some of your Greek helps that you look at, you may look at, you may highlight the word from and all it has nothing on the other side as to where it came from. That's because it came from apaluo, 
apo meaning from, luo meaning loosed. So it's one compound word. Greek does a lot of compound words. And that's what it means. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. So that's what he speaks first. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now we're going to see another word here used in, in just a little bit. But she was bound by Satan. She was loosed by Jesus. Jesus did not bound her. God did not put her under any bonds. It was the enemy. Satan bound her. Jesus loosed her. Now immediately, it wasn't any time, so the service is going on. Remember, Jesus was teaching. That was the setting. Jesus is up front there teaching. All of a sudden, this woman comes into view and Jesus is drawn to deal with it now. I don't know about you, but I think I would have said, all right, God, we'll take care of that. Let me finish <laughs> and then we'll get going on. No, apparently it needed to be taken care of right then. So Jesus stops what he's teaching and he, uh, he goes on. Let me get to verse 14. That's the healing story. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. Now, if he's the ruler of the synagogue, I don't know how long he's been the ruler of the synagogue. Has he been ruler of the synagogue for one year? Has he been ruler of the synagogue for five years? Has he gone on longer than that? We're not told how long he is. But this woman has been 18 years under this, and I would assume she's probably been in the same area. If you've got a condition bent over like that, you know, we didn't have the... Uh, Three men in a truck to call to move you. You had to, uh, you had to move yourself. You're going to move from one place to another. And if she's bent over, she'd be needing a whole lot of help from other people. She won't be able to do to do a whole lot on that. So she's probably stayed in the same area for a good while, and maybe part of this synagogue for all that time. Now, if you were the ruler of the synagogue and you had a member who had been there for a long period of time. And they just got freed. How many of you would be upset, upset about that? Wouldn't you think that if you had somebody in the church and they had been bound by something for 18 years, that even if you didn't know them all that 18 years, if you only knew them for one year, two years, wouldn't you get excited? You'd be excited for them. Glory to God, you got free of that. You'd be all excited like it almost happened to you. Not him. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. Now, this whole series has been on boundaries. This woman has been under a boundary put on her by a spirit of infirmity. There are certain things she can't do certain places she can't go. She is hindered. She is put into a restricted area because of this condition. That's not the boundaries that God wants her in. God doesn't want her here. He wants her to be free to go wherever she needs to go and do whatever she needs to do and to be able to fulfill the calling that is on her life. He wants her free to be able to do these things. But the enemy has put a spirit of infirmity on her to keep her bound. If you are bound, you're not able to go and do the things that you normally like to do. Some of us are getting an idea about that. Because uh, even if you want to leave your house, there aren't many places to go. 
too many places are closed. And if you, um, you know, my, my wife was, was saying we were, we were been eating around the house and she said, I, I think I'd like to get a, a, a salad. She named the place she wanted to get the salad from. I said, well, I'll go check and see if they're open. Checked. All of them are closed. Can't even go in there and get do a takeout. They were all closed. So, all right, no salad for you. <laughs> Gave it a shot though. But you see, we kind of understand what it is to be, to be bound up that way because even if you, you would go out, you can't go out and, and do a whole lot of things. I had to get some um, bunky boards for a bed delivery this week. And so I, I was going to get them ahead of time. I went over to the Home Depot the, the day before. And I was, I was going to be able to get in there and, and do all that. So I, I got over there. And there's, a, there's an entrance for us guys that are on the, the lumber side. And so I get the, I get the big cart. So I get the big cart. I go over there. No, you got to go in the, the other one. All the way down to the other end. I'm pushing this cart all the way down to the other end to get in. And then I get there and there's a line to get into the store. So I got, I, if I did it, I'd have to stand in line with this cart to get into the store. To me, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You got a big store inside there, but you only want 50 people to be in there, but there's 50 people in the line and the line's a lot smaller area than it is in the store. Set them free. <laughs> I'm going to the store. And I just got, in, I can, I can appreciate this word indignant. I got indignant. And I said, then forget it. And so I left. And so then I got the idea, well, if I go in the morning, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning, Home Depot opens up. If I go at 6 a.m. in the morning, I'll be able to get in because no one else is getting up at 6 a.m. in the morning to go to Home Depot. And I was right. No one else got up at 6 a.m. You know, just a couple of people, no line. So I get the cart. Pushed it all the way. Actually, I didn't push it. I got smarter this time. I walked to the entrance you had to get in. Walked all the way back up to the other side of the store. Got to the exit and said, can I go out and get a cart? And so I went out and got a cart and then came back in and then go over to the saw. Big sign on the saw, out of order. It has never been out of order. Now, this is bad for me because Lowe's has been out of order for years. Now, it works as long as you don't mind it being cut at an angle. So it'll start here and slide. And when you're trying to put a bunky board in, you can't have the, the back end smaller than the front end. That's not going to sit in there too well. So I can't buy them at Lowe's anymore. So at Lowe's, I can't buy them at Home Depot. I can't buy them at. So I had to load the entire truck up with, and there's three beds and a set of drawers. And it was going a long way away. So put as much on there as we could. Three beds and a set of drawers. And so I drive on up to the Quaker Town Lowe's. They got a big, brand new um, panel saw. I get in there. I said, "Wow, this looks good." Yeah, we just got a brand new one. I said, "It's going to cut straight in." It sure is. <laughs> and we cut them suckers up, and we got. So I had to go back out to the truck, unload the truck partially, put the bunky boards on, and then load it back up. And because there's so much on it, the the truck is actually loaded above the bed. So you have to tie everything down. So I had to undo all the ties to unload the truck to put the bunky boards back on and then retie everything down so that it's okay for the, it was about a two and a half hour trip to get to the first, get to the first stop. So it has to be tied down, tied down really good. All this <laughs> because of some nonsense about no more than 50 people in the store or all the other different things that are, that are going on. But you know, we're adjusting. And even, um, even though 
there are not that many places to go. You know, we're, 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 we're kind of understand what it's like to be hindered in that way. Because I don't know about you, but if there's a Mexican restaurant open tomorrow, I'm there. I am going. If my wife is not in the mood for Mexican, that's fine. I'll leave her home. I'm going to the Mexican restaurant. I want all I can eat salsa and chips. That's what I want. I want all I can eat salsa and chips. And they will be sorry they let me in the door. <laughs> and then I want some enchiladas. And then after that, we'll find some other place to go. But I, Mexican restaurants, first thing on the list there. But, you know, if they were open tomorrow, I'd go. This is, uh, I, I don't understand. There is absolutely no sense in that you can go into a store that's as big as Home Depot or Giant, but you can't go into the little mom and pop stores. I don't understand that. But you see, this is not about making sense. This is not about being logical. This is something far, far greater in play here. And um, I'm not very much in favor of that either. But that's where, where it is. So all these places are closed. You don't have any places you can go anyway. So we understand what it's like to be home. You know, my, my uh, daughter and son-in-law, they, they would love to take the kids out to a playground, uh, a Chick-fil-A or something like that. It has a, has a play park. They all want to go to the play park. They don't understand why we can't go to the play park. <laughs> this, is, this isn't good, not being able to go to the play park. We want to be able to go. Well, he's not very happy. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He's not happy that all this has gone on. He's upset. And he's not upset because a person who had a condition that they couldn't seem to get an answer for got an answer when Jesus shows up. That apparently didn't, didn't, didn't cause, it wasn't the cause of the problem. It may have had some kind of underlying thing in it, but it's because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He says, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. How many days do they have the meeting in the, in the synagogue? I don't know if, it, if it's like it is now. I mean, churches, they have meetings during the week. But the big meeting is, it's on Sunday. So I would think it's the same way there in the synagogue. People are working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They even worked on Sunday because their Sabbath was Saturday. So this is their day off. They worked a lot of times six days a week. So this is your day off. This is the day that most of the people can go to church if they're going to go. So this is the big day. And he's upset. Come on a Monday. Come on a Tuesday. Don't come on a Saturday. Don't come on the Sabbath day to get healed. Come on the other days. Well, Jesus wasn't necessarily there on Monday or Tuesday. Or when he's there here on the Sabbath day. And she didn't even come to get healed. She just came. Because apparently, what she does. She comes to church. 18 years probably. So he's mad. You ought to stay home if, you're, if you need to be healed. <laughs> don't, don't come out to church. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, does it? See, people can get irrational. And it's not just something that happens today. It's not just something, something that happens with the virus. Uh, people get, get irrational. People get crazy. They get indignant. How many of you have, uh, have uh, seen indignant faces be- if you're going around not wearing a mask? 
Isn't that the most ridiculous thing in the world? Mask doesn't do much for you anyway. And I'm in, I'm, I have a little bit of rebellion going on in me in that. So I have the mask that they gave me at the patient first two months ago. I keep it in my pocket. I keep it in my pocket until I am at the door. I walk through the entire parking lot to get to the door because I know I have to have it on in order to go through the door. Then I pull it out. I put it on when I'm going in the door. And then I go in, I do what I have to do. And as soon as I come out the door, it's off. It's stuffed in my pocket and I'm walking on down to my car. No mask on at all. That's right. No mask on here. Don't need no stupid mask. That's, that's as much rebellion as I can get into, I guess, at, at this point. But uh, I, I know enough to know how little those things actually do, but it does put this in front of everybody. Everywhere you go, you see somebody in a mask, you're thinking virus. I saw something put up on Facebook. I thought it was a great, great one. I didn't copy it, though. It said, if you are driving alone with a mask on, maybe when this is over, you should stay home. <laughs> I thought that, that's actually pretty smart to, to do. I'm not quite sure why you're doing that. Whether I'm driving alone or with people in it, it don't matter to me. I still have it. Uh, <laughs> I still have it. I have it off. I'm not about to put that. I don't put that thing on until I go into the store. And I'm cutting down how many times I have to go into the store because I don't want to have to put the sucker, the sucker on. <laughs> Keep that thing off of me. John and I, we go out there and we're running in the neighborhood. And um, we run by, we walk by people, got the masks on. And, and not everybody does, but some of the people do. And, you know, we're running. We run right next to each other, same way we did before. We don't run six feet behind each other. We run right next. John's here. I'm here. And running on down the road, chatting and talking. And uh, we see people with masks on. We don't have a mask on. I'm not wearing no mask going for a run. We're outside. As we said before, John says, you know, maybe what we're doing is illegal. I said, they'll have to catch us first. They'll have to catch us. There was a, there was a sign somebody was running on the beach. I, you may not have seen it because it was on one of my running forums. And uh, the guy was running on the beach, and the security guard was coming down to kick him off. And so he was going, and so the, the guy's running, and he's running, and he sees the security, security guard coming, so he picks up the pace. <laughs> and he's running on down. The security guard starts to take off after him. He starts running out after him, and he just kept on going. He's a runner. And he just kept on going. Eventually, the security guard ran out of energy and just tuckered out. and <laughs> He didn't get him. Oh, man. Let's go on here with this. Verse 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. That didn't take long, did it? Jesus went from teaching the word of God to ministering under the anointing of God to hypocrite. Yeah. He's calling out this nonsense. Some of this nonsense that's going on around about this virus. Call it out. Don't feel like you gotta, you gotta just, uh, take it all. Call it out. This is, this is hypocrisy. This is wrong. This should not be going on. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water, to water it? Now when Jesus gets here to the synagogue, is Jesus ignorant that there's a lot of people who don't like healing on the Sabbath? He is not. We've had many run-ins 
about healings on the Sabbath. He is well aware this is an issue. Does it bother him? When he sees an opportunity to heal on the Sabbath, does he think, you know what, maybe, maybe we do this tomorrow. Maybe I come to your house after the service when no one else is around. He doesn't make it easy for anybody, does it? He just, this is the right thing to do. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if it gets under your skin. This is the right thing to do. This is what the Father wants me to do. This is what God wants me to do. I'm healing here in the synagogue. It's not my synagogue. I didn't build this synagogue. I don't visit this synagogue all the time. I'm all over the place. This might be the ruler of the synagogue. And apparently the ruler of the synagogue is not in favor of this. But it doesn't bother Jesus. And he doesn't say this after he gets done healing the woman. I'm sorry. I didn't realize this would offend you. He says, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? Now, just think about what's going on here today. There's a whole lot of hypocrisy going on. I got people that are legislators who are getting paid telling people who are not getting paid not to go to work. And that you can't go to work. But I'm getting paid from your tax dollars. But I'm going to make laws that you can't go to work. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. How is it that a person who's getting paid can tell someone else who doesn't have money for food, doesn't have money for rent, having a hard time getting by as it was, and now has no job? That's hypocrisy to me. Just like this. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you, not just you, ruler of the synagogue, every single one of you, all you people, you people that are making a stink about this, you ones that are thinking like you'd want to make a stink about this, and you people who are not in agreement with this at all. All of you. He's gotten them all. All of you. Does each, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? Can you imagine going out to the donkey? Donkey's thirsty. Donkey, I'm sorry, it's a Sabbath. Can't, can't take you to the water. Can't do it. Max, could you imagine if one of your dogs was at home? and needed water, and it's Sunday, and you came home from church, and they've been by themselves all day long, and they get on home, and they, they want some water, and they want some food. Can you imagine what would happen if you say, I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath, I cannot feed you. Can you imagine if mom and dad say, take the dog out for a walk, and you say, I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath, <laughs> I cannot walk them. You're going to use that now, aren't you? <laughs> But see, that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. If your donkey, if your pet at home needs water, you're going to water it. You're going to go up. and I mean, we just go up to the spigot and get some water and, and, and put it down there for them. But they actually had to take the, the donkey out to where the water was, let the donkey drink, and then bring the, the donkey back. He says, doesn't each one of you do that? For your ox, your donkey... Verse 16, so ought, so ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound? Think of it. I love that emphasis. Think of it. I want you to the guys to think. 18 years. And I don't know, this is just a side note. If you want to know what the actual Greek was, since I was looking at the Greek for this, I just read the whole thing. It's eight verses. <laughs> eight verses. He doesn't say 18 years. He says 10 years and eight years. 
I don't know why. I'm pretty sure Greek has an 18. But he says 10 years, all these 10 years and 8 years. And we just translated 18. Makes sense, doesn't it? You just translated 18 years. Think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. It's not bad to be loosed from a bond on the Sabbath. It's good to be loosed from a bond whatever day. But how much more? She has been bound by the enemy for 18 years. How good is it to be loosed here on the Sabbath? And he calls her daughter of Abraham. Now, I just gave you this reference here. You can look this up on your own later on. John 8, 37 to 47. You will find he has a discussion with some people about it being Abraham's descendants. And they said, we're Abraham's descendants. And uh, Jesus wasn't quite so favorable about them being Abraham's descendants. But you can read that back there if you want to. But in James 4 and 6, 1 Peter 5 and 5, these are verses that talk about how God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, that woman was a humble person. He called her, she came. She didn't say, I don't, I don't want to be a spectacle. She didn't, she didn't question it. She, he called her, she came. She was humble. But this man, this ruler of the synagogue, he was proud. That's why he got so, so indignant. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First Peter 5, 5 is around the same thing. But he says this to the, to the woman, to the, to the man. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Now, he didn't say loosed from in this. He just said you just the word luo, loosed. Shouldn't she not be loosed? So before, he was saying, you are loosed from this thing. Now he's just referring to it as, as being loosed. So Jesus says, Shouldn't she be loosed? Shouldn't she be loosed? She's been bound for 18 years. Now that would seem that God wanted her freed before this, but nothing had happened to cause it. Now Jesus calls this man a hypocrite and uses an example of his hypocrisy. But this man, he doesn't repent. He doesn't get on his knees and say, you are right. I am so wrong in this. And just, no, he's proud. You can point out hypocrisy to things that people are doing here today and they won't see it. I mean, what is, how is it not hypocrisy to take people who are put in jail for valid reasons to release them, to put people in jail who violated some new law that they made up because of the virus? How ridiculous is that? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. Not only is it hypocrisy, but it doesn't even make any sense. And Jesus would call out, call that kind of stuff out. Now just know this, Jesus didn't loose everyone. There's a lot of people that he came into that uh, they were bound up with things. He didn't loose everyone. But he did go after the ones with the right heart. This woman had a right heart. Even though she had this for 18 years, she had probably compromised some of her theology, some of her thinking of God. But her heart was still right. Aren't you glad that you can maybe compromise some of your doctrine? Maybe have some wrong doctrine in there, but your heart can still be right. And when Jesus was speaking to her, it is God's will for you to be healed right now. She just received it. And she straightened up when hands were laid on her. Now some people came after him. Remember the demoniac? He came after him. Came after Jesus. 
There was a whole Sabbath of miracles. Several demon-possessed people came and they came after him to be, be healed, set free. There was the woman with the issue of blood. She came after him. There are other ones that he went after. Remember the raising of the widow's son? They didn't come after him. He went up there and opened the coffin. There was a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He's there waiting for the pool to be stirred. Jesus went after him. Now see, our beliefs can bind us up. It may be that what we believe God sent to us or wants for us, we have a thing in our life and I may think that my belief structure may be of such that I believe God wants me to have this. I believe that God sent this to me. Even though there's nothing in the Word of God that would support it. I believe that God wants me to be bent over. If I believe that God wants it, wants me to have it, I don't get rid of it. I believe God wants me to be poor and barely able to pay my rent. I believe God wants me to have an old clunker of a car and not have a nice one. I believe that God wants me to suffer from headaches. It keeps me humble. Whatever it might be, we have come to a place where a belief has been altered. It is no longer in line with the Word of God. It has been altered into something else and we accept that difference as something from God. And it may have been with us for two years, five years, ten years, maybe 18 years, maybe longer. But it does not matter how long it's been with us. If we change the belief structure, healing is ours. This woman apparently still attends church. Didn't let her get in the way between her and God that way. Why she didn't ask Jesus to heal her before, I don't know. But the, the wrong set of beliefs will get us to embrace the wrong things. The wrong set of beliefs will orchestrate our behavior and where we operate in a wrong area. We will not be in the boundaries that God set up and God says, this is where I want you to operate. We're over here because we have accepted something from the enemy. It's compromised our beliefs. It's compromised our thinking about what God wants for our life. And it's hindering us from doing what God wants. And we've just accepted this is the way that it needs to be. If we're going to operate within the boundaries that God wants, we have to be over in the area where God wants us to be. That means if we have a wrong belief, we have to get rid of it. We've got to shake it off. We have to get rid of it. It's up to us. This ruler of the synagogue had a lot of wrong beliefs. He's not willing to let any of them go. And yet, he's the ruler of the synagogue. And he's got a lot of bad ideas about God. And they affect how he, how he goes. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine being Jesus? You got the meeting going on. You're teaching the people. In the, teaching the people in the meeting. We're teaching things the Word of God. God gave you some things to share with them. You're sharing those things. Middle of the meeting, near the end of the meeting, at the beginning. Don't know where it was. Somewhere along the lines, you're teaching. You stop teaching. And see this woman and you address her. And then this guy gets up and shouts out this stuff. How many know that, that can alter the meeting? That can have a, a negative effect on a meeting. Now, you may not have had this experience yourself, but I have been in a place where I was teaching. 
and ministering. I was doing the entire service and, um, and ministering. Not here. It was not here. It was, you know, way before we ever, ever started this. And in the middle of the, in the middle of me teaching, a person got up to rebuke me and the things that I was teaching in the middle of it. <laughs> and it was a leader in the church. It wasn't the pastor. It was a leader in the church. And we had a discussion in the middle of the meeting. Now, how many know that can have an effect? <laughs> we got through it. And, um, you know, I was young then. I didn't quite know the stuff to do. I know better how to I've handled it now, but um, that can, I, I understand where Jesus is coming from in this because I've been there, I've had that kind of disruption, and it can just it can unsettle you. And we don't know what all happened after this this part of the meeting. That part's left out. Luke didn't record that. We don't know did he pick up and go on with the teaching? Did he decide you know what? Let's heal some more people. <laughs> you didn't like that one? I'm going to go heal some more. I don't know if he did that either. We don't know because. Uh, only thing that was important out of this meeting for us to learn for the, for the generations all to come was this, this part here. But somehow, he went on. He went on to minister in some more places. He still encountered the same, same thinking. But our wrong beliefs will put us in a wrong place. That's why every time that we come into church, I'm allowing God to minister to me to get rid of wrong beliefs, to weed out wrong beliefs and put in right ones. Because that steers me. I, I was operating over here. I'm not supposed to be over there. And I move myself into the place I'm supposed to be. I get within the boundaries that God says. And I realized some of the problems I was having because I'm in the wrong place. I'm not supposed to be out over there. I'm not supposed to be thinking that. I'm not supposed to be doing that. Now I understand that. And now I move my behavior back over here. But if I didn't keep coming out to church, I wouldn't learn that. I listen to the Word of God during the week because during the week He can begin to, to minister to me. I read the Word of God because as I'm reading the Word of God, He shows me. See that, Steve? You're, you're not where you should be on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, see that. Uh, we just got finished reading the, uh, the letters to the churches in our, in our readings that we're doing. He had some rebukes for some people. You're out where you're not supposed to be. This is, this, this is not the borders I set up for you. I sit up here, you have breached it, and you're now over in here. And these problems are going to come because you're out over here. We've got to shake those things free. God will help us to get within the area where we're supposed to be, just like he helped this woman. I'm looking forward to many things when we get to heaven. One of them is, I want to find out what did this woman do with her life after she was set free? What did, what did she do? Is she someone else? Is she one of the women we see in the book of Acts? Some of the, one of the prominent women who was, who was doing things and leading things? I don't know. But that is one of those things I'm going to find out when I get to heaven. Roll the videotape. What happened to the woman after she was healed? I want to see. Because the devil made her a target for 18 years. And then Jesus made her a target in the meeting when he saw her. If she's made a target those two times by, by Jesus and by the enemy, what kind of call was on her life? And what was she being hindered from doing?
I don't know. But what I do know is that I have to make sure that my beliefs don't hinder me from fulfilling the call that I have in the direction that God has taken me. Would y'all stand up? Father God, I thank you that you have a calling on our life. You have a purpose, a plan, a pursuit that we are to engage in. And the enemy will try every which way to divert us from that pursuit. He will try and get us off track and going in the wrong direction. To get us outside the boundaries that you have set up. And sometimes after we've operated like this woman for 18 years, we can begin to think some things about our God that are not right. We can begin to think that some of the things that the enemy has put on us, our God put on us. Because that's what he wants us to think. We may think that God has a purpose for me. Heaviness. Whatever it might be, as long as we embrace that belief, it will hinder the things we receive and alter our path so that we don't stay within the boundaries that you have set up. But I thank you that you're always working to expose these things. And as long as we keep ourselves in a place of humility, your grace is so great that it covers over those areas where we've missed it. And you give us opportunity to receive the light that we need. But if we're proud, we'll hinder that work that you would do. I thank you, Father, that you can keep us humble. You speak to us. You teach us. You lead us. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Keith. Amen. What a blessing to be here. What a blessing to be before God. A quick note. How do we keep our hearts in the right condition? By keeping God in the proper perspective. We understand that he is God and we are not. That's why we want to continually give him the adoration, the love, the praise that he deserves. We started out talking about this awesome God that we serve. This awesome God that's in control of absolutely everything. When we look at the hypocrisy that is in the world today, and it's funny because anytime you have a conversation, somehow hypocrisy tends to wander into conversations today. I don't know why. I think it's because of deception that is running rampant right now. We are so deceived that you could go out and somebody could tell you that the sky is green. And they absolutely believe it. And that's scary. When 
is the word harpazo. The, the falling away comes. Did you ever wonder how they will explain away millions of people just disappearing? You ever wonder that? The deception has to be so great that somebody's going to believe some kind of story that somebody says and people are going to say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Really? Lord, have mercy. Lord, give us strength. From last week, Brother Jolly called or, or texted a prayer request for, at that point, it was one of his co-workers, and his co-worker's name is uh, Mr. Mr. Edelsheim, and he's actually been a visitor here before. And um, since then, we also have a prayer request for another one of his co-workers, Ms. Booth. Both of them lost their father due to the virus, you know. And we would certainly want to be praying for their comfort and building up in people that will come around them to encourage them, to support them. We hope that their loved ones were in Christ. You know, I had a quick conversation with a young woman or my neighbor yesterday. And I said, well, you know, if we really believe what we say we believe as believers, with all of this COVID and people dying and all of this other stuff, if we live, okay, we got a job. If we die, we're with the Lord. Okay, win-win. If we believe what we say we believe. For prayer or for praise reports, one I have from Daryl is he is thankful to still be working and for for God's continued protection. Amen. I have one from Ento. Back on the work tip. She works in an essential business and she's, um, so she has been able to continue to go to work even though the shutdown, um, and she's received work, word from HR and management that, uh, there have been no confirmed cases of this virus in anywhere or anyone that works for them. Glory to God. And she believes her workplace will continue to be safe and protected because his word and promise to her in Psalm 91 is true, that no plague shall come nigh. Sometimes, I'm sorry, I revert to like King James. I don't know why it is. I just, you know, go straight to King James. I just like certain words. Praise report from Melissa. God has been reminding her of his protection and <clears throat> and love this week in many little ways. I've received wise counsel, financial blessings, and supernatural peace from many different sources throughout the week. Think about it. How much is God doing for us? And we don't even necessarily realize it. 
we don't necessarily acknowledge it the way we should. And, and here's the thing. When we're talking with you guys on Facebook, when you're in your apartments, when you're in your houses, when you get time to praise God and, and you know, I got somebody under me, I got somebody over me. So maybe I'm not loud. Maybe I'm not boisterous. Maybe, you know, I don't do my thing and lose my mind. Well, if we look at the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. They heard this sound coming from the upper room of all this commotion. And they heard people speaking in their native language. And what were they speaking in their native language? Praises to God. Glory to God. Think about how much that affected unbelievers to be able to hear the word of God in their own language. So when you think about us and praising and being vocal about what we do, it's also for a sign to others of who our God is. Amen? Glory to God. Have a great week. Love one another. Check up on one another, please. Call people. See how they are. Call the old folks. Call Les. Make sure he's okay. (laughs) And just let them know how much you love them, okay? Amen. Have a great day.